So if you're looking at the screen, you might wonder why on the last uh, Tuesday meeting in December we're going to talk about baptism. But I hope the message will be helpful to us. And uh, it's not going to be, I hope it's not going to be the typical message that we hear about baptism. I'd like to look a little differently at the subject. But let's begin with uh, asking for the Lord's help. Father, we thank you for this time we can spend together and ask that you would bless the thoughts that we have and that you would help us to be open to the teaching of your word and receptive to what you have to say to us tonight. We need your help as we study your word and we ask that you would do that and bless us in it tonight. We ask us in Jesus' name. Amen. When I flash this page up before you, I wonder what comes to your mind. What do you think of when I mention baptism? I'm sure that what you think about is what happens in the tank behind me from time to time. When uh, someone who has trusted the Lord is immersed in water, we recognize baptism as a symbol of Christ's death and resurrection. We have a good understanding of it, and it's good to hear about it. Each time someone is baptized, a little explanation is given as to what it means. We have this on the interview website. And let's see if I can get this thing to go. Turn it on now, start. There we go. A lot of reading there, but you can look all of that at the Read of You website. I'm not going to take time to look at all of that. It's worthwhile looking at it. It gives us an explanation of believer's baptism and what it means. I think there's a um, little more to baptism that we could talk about, and, and I want to get into some of it this evening. Here are some questions that I'm going to ask you to pause just to read and think about. Some of these things aren't typically covered when we talk about baptism. When somebody gets up to speak to us about baptism before we have one here, we don't always cover these kinds of topics these kinds of things. I want to look at baptism from a little bit of a wider perspective. There's 120 mentions of the word baptism in the New Testament. And you could argue this, and some might see it differently, but I would suggest to you that really there's only 12 of those references that we can say for sure are references to what we typically think of as baptism, believer's baptism, that uh, we practice here and that we talk about in our website. The vast majority of the references are references to other types of baptism or other meanings of the word baptism. So I want to think a little bit about, about that this evening. We won't answer all of these questions tonight, but perhaps we'll touch on some of these things that uh, help us to understand a little more about what baptism is. Let's look, first of all, at this verse in First Corinthians chapter 10. I usually like to ask people to look uh, passages up in their Bibles if they have them or even on the tablets if they have them in front of them. I find it's helpful when you read them yourself. But we're going to look at a lot of texts this, this evening and so I have put most of them up on the screen. And you'll be able to read them there just for the sake of time to speed things up. First Corinthians 10, 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, 
this uh, subject of baptism came to my mind in particular when we were studying this the men's Bible study a few months ago. And we looked at this verse and someone in the group asked, what, what does this mean, baptized into Moses? What was this all about? I thought that I had a reasonably good understanding of it, but I realized when the question came up that I don't think I could articulate my answer very well. It got me thinking a little bit more about what this meant. What, what is this reference to baptism here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, speaking about the experiences of the children of Israel in the desert? Certainly isn't a reference to baptism like we have it in this tank behind us, is it? Uh, that's not what's being referred to here. Now think about this passage from Mark chapter 10. Jesus said to them, do you not know? You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? What does this word mean in this context when the Lord uses it in this way? Um, there are others we could think about. Galatians 3, verse 26 says, We are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Is that a reference to baptism in water by immersion? A lot of these passages of Scripture that speak to baptism might cause us to think a little bit more about what baptism really is and what baptism really means. Let's look at this one from Ephesians chapter 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. What is the baptism that's referred to here? Is Paul, as he writing, referring to immersion in water, this baptism that we experience, saying that there's just one of those baptisms? There's just one baptism? Is that what he's referring to here? Well, we'll come back to this passage perhaps a little bit later. I would suggest to you that the New Testament makes reference to many different baptisms. So what does this verse say, mean when it says there is one Baptism. It's a much bigger subject that we, than we usually consider when someone gets up and presents to us for five minutes before someone is baptized in this tank, what baptism is about. It's a bigger subject than often we think about. What do we understand all of these references to mean? This one from Ephesians 4 says there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Hebrews 6, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead, of eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. The writer to the Hebrews explains to us here a few things about growth in Christian life and understanding. And that as we mature in our faith, we should be digging into the deep things of the word of God. 
And interestingly, he lists here some of the things that are elementary, some of the things that are kind of fundamental. I've heard some people explain that the original Greek text of this, you could understand this to be leaving the discussion about kind of the ABCs, the simple truths, moving on to things that are more deep and profound. That's what he chooses to do. But he classifies among the things that are simple, the doctrine of baptisms. I wonder if you'd consider baptism to be one of the elementary truths. Is it something that you feel you know all about? Something you think that you have mastered and that you're already too on to things that are deeper. Elementary things like the doctrine of baptisms. Just notice three things about this text. Number one, baptism is in the plural. It says the doctrine of baptisms, plural. The verse that we read previous said that there is one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Here we read that there are baptisms, plural. Second thing that I want you to notice is that it classifies these teachings as kind of the elementary principles that mentioned that already. Third thing that you might notice, if you have a different translation and you're reading from it today, you might not have the word baptism here. Some of you, in the translations you're reading, might have something like washings, even ceremonial washings. That tells us something else about this word baptism. Like many words in English or in Greek or in any language around the world, we often have different understandings of a word based on its context. We understand the, the message being conveyed isn't always exactly the same, even though we use the same word each time. And, and that's true of this word baptism. Let's think about the root of the word baptism for a little bit. The word baptism in English is a word that is taken from Greek, actually, a word that is said to be transliterated. That is, we take the sound of the original word in Greek and we've just carried it over into English. Baptizo was the Greek, baptism is the English equivalent word. We have other words like that, or deacon, for example, is a transliteration of a Greek word. So this one comes from the Greek, it's the word baptizo, baptizo. It means literally to immerse or to submerge. And um, it's not just a biblical word, it was a word that's commonly used in Greek in the, in the day. It was used in its day to refer to people being immersed in water the way that we think about baptism today. But it was used in other ways as well. We have texts outside of the Bible that refer to this word uh, where it is describing the pickling of vegetables, for example, where they are immersed in brine. It's used in, in some, uh, some um, writings that refer to the dyeing of cloth by submerging it in water. And die. And so it means to submerge or to overwhelm. And there are uh, different definitions of it. In fact, the word is even used in the, in the idea of washing, and it's used that way even in Scripture. Mark chapter 7, for example, in verse 4, we read this for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way. And the word wash there is the word baptize. Baptize, it's the same word. 
means there refers to washing. It's not often used that way, but in a couple of places in Scripture it's used that way. Most of the time it's used or in reference to people being immersed in water. Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. There are many other things that they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and coaches, Mark chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. So we have this reference to baptizing in the sense of washing, cleansing. The word is, is mostly used, as I say, to refer to baptizing individuals by submersing them in water and bringing them up again. This is not just something that came about in Christian faith. John the Baptist, as we'll think about it in a minute, baptized people, but he wasn't the first to do so. In fact, we understand, again, not from biblical sources, but elsewhere, that that Jewish people would baptize proselytes, people who came to Judaism from other faiths, baptizing them in water as a way of identifying them as, as being a convert to Judaism. And so the idea of baptism didn't initiate Christian faith. It is, though, a way in which someone comes to identify themselves with a different belief and a different faith and with a different teacher different teaching. The word is also used, though, in addition to its general sense of washing or submerging in water, it's used also in an allegorical way. I want to go back to this text in 1 Corinthians 10. Now, I would suggest to you that it's used here in, the, in, in that sense. It's figurative. It's used in a sort of an allegorical way. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware of our, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all drank the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink, and so on. The word here is used in the sense of something that is totally immersive, an immersive experience. We think about immersive experiences. We, we talk about English immersion or French immersion in schools where we would send a child in and they're completely surrounded and engulfed with the other language. It's used in that sense here. The children of Israel, as they came out of Egypt, uh, had an experience that was overwhelming, completely overwhelming to them. They, they fled out of Egypt, and as they looked behind them, there were the armies coming after them, the Pharaoh, and they looked ahead, and there was the sea in front of them. And what were they to do? And their life was at peril. And God intervened in a miraculous, overwhelming way. He first introduced a cloud and separated them from the armies of Pharaoh that were pursuing them with this cloud. It was to them a cloud of fire, of light, to the Egyptians, a cloud of darkness. The Lord opened the sea to them, and they walked through the sea. Imagine walking through the sea and seeing a wall of water on your left and on your right, and knowing the armies of Pharaoh are chasing you behind. It's an overwhelming experience. The word is used in that sense here. They were baptized. They were immersed 
in this experience. And they all went through it together. It was something that they all experienced in this way. An overwhelming experience. We have it used again in this kind of allegorical sense here in Mark chapter 10, I would suggest to you, where the Lord speaks himself. Jesus said to them, do you not know what you ask? You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Are you baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able, and so on. The Lord is speaking about an experience that he's going to encounter. He's not, he's not speaking about being baptized in water. He's speaking about something that is going to come upon him that is going to be a, a, a massive, immersive experience. Speaking about his death on the cross. I believe that from the context of this passage, we could understand that he's actually speaking about the physical aspects of his persecution and his, and his crucifixion because he says the other disciples are also going to go through an experience like it. They're also going to be baptized in this kind of experience. And so the word is used sometimes in this kind of an allegorical sense. I want to, in the remaining time we have together, speak about five distinct baptisms that we read about in, in the scriptures. There's more than one baptism. They're all not just referring to believers' baptism. In fact, only a few of them are really. Most of them are speaking about other experiences. Most of the references in the scriptures to baptism, we've looked at a few where it is used in the sense of washing. We've looked at a few words used in a kind of an allegorical sense, but most of the references, references to baptisms in water, and there are five, I'm going to suggest five different distinct baptisms that we can read about in the, in the New Testament. I want to speak primarily about just one of those tonight, but we'll, we'll mention all five quickly. First of all, there is John's baptism. John came baptizing people with water. Mark chapter one, verse four to five, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. John's baptism was not a strange new concept, as I mentioned earlier. People understood that it signified identification with John and with his teaching. It, 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 it signified that they accepted the teachings of this rabbi, John the Baptist. And they identified themselves with him. That's what it meant. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. People who were baptized by John accepted his message and understood that they needed to seek repentance for their sins. They were sorry for what they'd done. It's not the same thing as, as New Testament baptism that we read about. It's not the same thing as believers' baptism that we talk about. We have a, another baptism. Second baptism we can think about is baptism that the Lord's disciples conducted, the Lord and his disciples conducted. John chapter 3, uh, verse 22, it's mentioned that the Lord baptized. And again in John chapter 4, we read, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, 
though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, who left Judea and departed, began to Galilee. Jesus baptized people, or Jesus' disciples baptized people, who were seeking to follow the Lord. Is that the same believer's baptism that we practice? I would suggest it's not. It's not the same. There are clear differences. It, it, it is in many ways more related to the kind of baptism that John was doing, in that those that he baptized, though that the, those that the Lord baptized and those that his disciples baptized, were being baptized to identify themselves with this new teacher and with the teaching that he was giving. We couldn't say that that baptism was representing being buried with Christ and being dying with Christ and being buried with Christ and being raised again with Christ. Those things had not happened. The church had not been established at that point. And yet the Lord was baptizing. So this is a distinct baptism that we read about in the scriptures. The baptisms conducted by Jesus and by his disciples. Then we have Christ's own personal baptism. The Lord was baptized himself. And that, that would be quite different than John's baptism. The Lord didn't need to be baptized for repentance. He didn't even need to be repenting of wasn't being baptized to identify with himself. Why was the Lord baptized? Well, we could spend a message on that. Um, here's where we read about the Lord's baptism in Matthew 3. Won't look at that at the moment. And here are eight reasons I'll give you why it is important that the Lord be baptized, some things we might learn from it. And I'm hardly even going to give you time to read those. We're not going to think about them. That's another message, maybe for another time. But there are important reasons why the Lord was baptized, things that we can learn about why the Lord was baptized, things that it demonstrated. The Lord's baptism had a purpose. And uh, these are some of the purposes that it accomplished. But then we have this one, and this is the one where I want to spend our remaining time this evening. The baptism is used in the New Testament as a synonym for salvation. I'm going to come back to this slide in just a second. Number five is believer's baptism that we so often think about. Baptism that we practice here at the Bible Chapel. It happens in this tank behind me. It's the fifth of the five different distinct forms of baptism that we can think about. But let's go back to number four. Baptism as a synonym for salvation because I don't think that we think about this enough. I want to think about, I want to think about six different, six different things that are emphasized in the scripture in references to baptism as a synonym for salvation. There's a lot of terms that we use for salvation. Scripture uses terms like born again, uses terms like being saved, being regenerated, being washed, justified, we're adopted into God's family. Are these all different things? No, they're different words to describe the same thing. They're different aspects of our salvation. And baptism is a word that is used along with those others to describe something that happens to us when we come to take Christ as our Lord and Savior. 
Here's one that we might think about, that baptism used in scripture in this way as a synonym for salvation, in that it was foreshadowed in the experience of Noah and the ark. This is a difficult passage. I don't know if you can read it. It's pretty fine on the screen. But I'm going to take a minute to just read this, this little section. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. Verse 23, but there is an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me just pause and ask you to challenge you. Is this a reference to being baptized in water? Is this a reference to believers' baptism as we practice it? I would suggest to you it's not. That's not what this verse is referring to. This verse says we have an antitype which now saves us. Well, you can look at the Read of You website and you'll see that it's pretty clear here that we teach that baptism does not save us. Baptism doesn't bring us salvation. This reference isn't a reference to being baptized in water. This is a reference to our salvation. The ark is shown here as a type. It's a picture of salvation, and the ark is a type of Christ. Noah went into the ark, and in the ark he was safe from the judgment that God brought upon the earth. And we, when we come to faith in Christ, are put into the ark, as it were. We are in Christ. We are safe from the judgment that is coming. We are safe from the judgment against our sins, the judgment that God is going to bring upon this earth for the sins of this earth. We're not saved because we're immersed in water. We're saved by new birth, by regeneration, by salvation, by baptism. We are saved. It's not water baptism that this is speaking about. It's speaking about our salvation, and it is pictured here in the Old Testament as a symbol. Number two, though through it, we are integrated into the church. First Corinthians 12, verse 13 says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we have all been made to drink into one spirit. So let me ask you, when were we baptized into one body? At what point were you baptized into one body? It wasn't when you were immersed in water. You were brought into the body of Christ when you were saved at the point of salvation. Baptism is used in that sense to refer to bringing people into the body of Christ. Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, we were all made to drink into one spirit, baptized into the body of Christ at the point of salvation. Baptism is used in that sense as a synonym for salvation. It involves also, number three, being 
putting on Christ. Galatians 3.27, for as many as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When, when do we put on Christ? Not when we were immersed in water. This isn't a reference to believer's baptism. It's a reference to our salvation. When we came to know Christ as Lord and Savior, when the Spirit indwelt us, we put on Christ. We were dressed in Christ's righteousness. God sees us in the righteousness of Christ, not at the point when we're immersed in water, but at the point when we come to accept him as our Lord and Savior. Number four, it places us in Christ, Colossians 2 to 12, buried with him in baptism, in which also you were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, buried with him in baptism. We love to look at this text and others when we have a baptism, a believer's baptism, because of the imagery that's portrayed. And, and we look at this verse and we say baptism represents being raised with him in, through faith in the working of God and being buried with him and being raised from the dead. And, and baptism in water, believer's baptism, symbolizes all that. But I'm going to suggest to you that this text isn't teaching that per se. We can draw that from this text. But primarily what this teaching is that baptism is these things, being buried with Christ, dying with Christ, being buried with him, being raised again. That is baptism. That is new birth. That is salvation. And that's what this scripture is teaching. We died with him. We were buried with him. We are raised with him. This is not symbolism. This is reality. This is the experience that we have when we come to faith in Christ, when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, at that point, at that point, we are buried with him, we die with him, we are buried with him, we are raised with him. It's not that we are trying to be represented in his death or aspiring to be buried with him or, or that we are considering ourselves to be raised with him. We are. We died with him. We were buried with him. We are raised with him. These are true descriptions of an actual condition. This verse is not saying, this verse is not saying that baptism symbolizes all this. It is saying that this, all of this is baptism. In the sense of salvation. Baptism is used as a synonym for salvation. And, and uh, so... Baptism is, in a sense, another term that is used to describe salvation to us. Fifthly, it involves the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Spirit. Time is gone, but I'm going to quickly go through this one. When the Spirit told me to go with them, this is the experience of Peter as he is relating how he went to Cornelius's home, Gentile home, and how Gentiles came to faith in Christ. And Peter is saying, Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, 
These six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Now I realize this idea of baptism of the Holy Spirit is a controversial subject. Even I'm going to suggest maybe what I'm going to say, some of you might not agree with, and that's fine. Not to talk about it with you or not afterwards if you like. I expect that we all would agree here that this reference to baptism in the Spirit is certainly not a reference to some second blessing, something that happens subsequent to our salvation. Uh, I think we can all agree on that. But I do recognize that there are some who, who see this term baptism of the Spirit as applying only and solely to the experience that happened at Pentecost. I would differ from that. I don't see it that way. I believe that this term baptism of the Spirit is a term that describes salvation. It's a term that describes what happens to us when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It is at that time that the Spirit comes and indwells the believer. And I think this text demonstrates that. When Peter writes and says that it happened to Cornelius in his household. Clearly this wasn't at Pentecost. Right? Even more than that, he says in verse 16, I remember the word the Lord said, John baptized the water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, if therefore God gave them the same gift that he gave us, what, when? When we were gathered at Pentecost? No. No, he says. The Lord gave to us when we believed. That's when it happened. He gave to us when we believed. Peter is speaking here to Christians that are gathered together in Jerusalem at the time, well after Pentecost. And I think it would be unreasonable to expect that the people he was speaking to were only and solely made up of those who happened to be there on the day of Pentecost when this happened. No, he's speaking to a broader group of believers who were there. Many of them weren't there at Pentecost, but the Holy Spirit came upon them when they believed. He indwelt them when they believed. And the Holy Spirit of God indwells each of us when we come to faith in Christ. And so I, I would suggest to you this another text that teaches us that baptism, the word baptism, the idea of baptism is used as a synonym for salvation. We are baptized. The same point comes out in Acts 2. Peter said to them, this is after he goes out uh, from the day of Pentecost and he begins preaching and many others go out, the disciples go out and preach the word. And Peter said to the crowds that had gathered, repent, let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Was he speaking here about water baptism? Maybe you think he was. And I'm not going to argue too strongly with you if you think that's what he was saying. But I'd suggest to you the text makes a whole lot more sense if we understand that he's speaking about the experience of salvation. Because that's what baptism really is. Salvation. And it is that salvation that there is the remission of sins, not through the baptism in water. It's through salvation that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, not through immersion in water. 
and I think that this text, like the others, is using the term baptism here as a synonym for salvation. Lastly, and back to the text that we started with. Baptism is unique. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. What is the one baptism? I would suggest to you that the one baptism is salvation. There is only one. No one comes to the Father but through me, Lord Jesus said. There is one baptism that is the true, the real baptism. The other baptisms that we've thought about, five others, the four others, are all symbolic. They're all just representative. They, they speak about something that has already happened in the case of a believer's baptism. Or for that matter, in the case of John's baptism, or the baptism of disciples of the Lord, they represent something, but there is only one true baptism, that is salvation. We come to faith in Christ. We are born again. We are saved. We are converted. We are baptized. Five distinct baptisms that we read about in the pages of Scripture. Believer's baptism that we practice here is important. The Lord commands us to do it. It's, it's one of two sacraments the Lord established. To remember him in the bread and wine. To be buried with him in grace again, same symbol in the waters of baptism. But these are symbols. Bread and wine are important. Baptism is vitally important. They're all critically important because the Lord has commanded that we do them. But they are symbols of something else that is real. And baptism is a symbol of salvation, a symbol of new birth, a symbol of real baptism. I hope this has been a bit of a help to us in thinking about baptism from a little different context.